Hello, and welcome back to the Ireland Football Fans Podcast. Uh, I'm Joseph McCarthy of the Irish Broads Statistics website, and I'm joined by Mark Kennedy of Hawkeye Psychic and Philip Flanagan of the Bottomless Pit of Football. We're going to look back at the two recent senior men's internationals against Latvia and the qualifier against France. A lot to discuss across the two games. Uh, guys, it's good to talk to you again. Uh, how are you both doing? Yeah, all good, Joe and Phil. Yeah, all good, lads. Good to see you again. Kick off. Uh, let's get started with the first game of 2023, the friendly against Latvia on Wednesday, the 22nd of March. Going into the game, a lot of the talk had been around the first start of Brighton striker Evan Ferguson and uh, if he would break his international duck for Ireland in what was going to be his third cap. Became racing out of the traps against Latvia, going 2-0 up early with Callum O'Dowd's first goal for Ireland, followed quickly by uh, Evan Ferguson's first goal from all of about four yards. But we fell back into a familiar trap, conceding two goals at home to lower-ranked opposition. So it meant it was two all at half-time. In our interview review, we said that... You know, this is a lesson that we need to learn. We need to, we need to stop conceding goals against inferior opposition, and we need to stop conceding goals from uh, from outside the area. But that didn't really happen in the first half against Latvia. Mark, uh, what did you make of that opening forty-five minutes? I suppose it was a tale of um, two mini halves, really, wasn't it? The first twenty twenty-five minutes were front foot, good tempo. Really stretching Latvia's defensive breaking point. The two early goals, you could argue, we could have had another two or three as well. Looking very dangerous final third. Callum Adoda, very prominent there in the flank as well. For his goal, you know, so particularly Will Smallbone as well and Matt Doherty linking up very well. But I suppose, as you say, Joe, the sea change I thought happened after about 30 minutes. Latvia made a conscious decision to really push on our back three, not give easy balls out. And it certainly worked. To a certain extent, I thought Ireland were a little bit more pressured by Latvia. Goals said that the two goals that we give away are just unforced errors, really. Uh, I mean, for the first goal, like Matt Doherty, it's an unforced error, but I think it's what happens after it is maybe more concerning. Just how the team couldn't regroup back and no pressure on Drikas, uh for a fabulous strike, yes, but where's the pressure? Where's the press? There is none there, and... And then, unfortunately, just before halftime as well, uh, get hit by a sucker punch. But I think more defensive leadership issues there in terms of dealing with the set piece for Zukazin's, uh good strike again. Takes a punt. Maybe pressure's not there. So you know, we're kind of on repeat here, entry guys, a little bit in terms of our podcast last year. Again, these are all selling goals from an opposition perspective. Maybe kind of game tape, game reviewing here. And I know Stephen Kenny was quick to kind of maybe deflect a little bit from it after the game. But again, these are worrying signs, again, particularly against Minnows, to give them a lifeline in there. And again, made a fixture that looked fairly routine and academic pretty much more difficult in the second half. Phil, we were both at the game and uh, I had a, a great view of both goals from the, the South Stand. And to me, that first goal, it's sometimes you got to put your hands up and say, there's nothing we could have done about it. It's just a wonder strike. But for that second goal, it does look to me like the two midfielders, Malumbi and Brown, are getting in each other's way, trying to clear the ball. What I thought was, you know, there were two players who were trying to do the same job. There didn't seem to be much in the way of, of leadership. 
either on the pitch from from the captain or from the sidelines from from management and when something like that is happening when two players are trying to do the same thing it's up to that whoever the the leader is whoever wherever the leadership is coming from to say no this is your job and then you know and this is your job like from where you were sitting what did you think of the two goals well, firstly, can I just say, I think my arms are really tired from holding my hands up because we seem to be holding our hands up all the time lately with these goals from outside the box. Because I don't know how many times I've heard people say, you just have to hold your hands up, it's a great strike. But like, it's cause and effect, close the man down, there's no shot on. Eventually something has to give. You know, it can't, they can't. there's a reason opposition teams are teeing the ball up 25, 26 yards out in their central area. It's because they know they're going to get a, ch- a crack at goal. And I was in in the ground. We drove up, so we were there ridiculously early. So I was actually there around, I was in my seat around five to seven. So I watched the full warm-up. Now, I know when most teams warm up, they'll always have a few pot shots at goal. Latvia were rigorously doing shooting drills from around the semi, semi-D, slightly outside it, for 10 to 15 minutes. Like, they had real emphasis on it. And I said it to one of the lads beside me. I said, they're really, like, having a go here. And he was like, oh, well, Ireland are kind of doing the same. But then once Ireland finished, they kept going. It was something they were working on. It's something all teams lately that have been working on. So it's okay for Kenny to throw his hands up and say, you know, it's just, it's a great strike. But if you close the ball down quicker or you deny the space in the centre, then... The opportunity to shoot isn't there, and we just don't do. We did it against France, funny enough, except on the one occasion, because nothing really through the middle. We'll talk about France obviously after, but France had no joy through the middle at all about the goal. And the second goal, as you said, I think it's just a case of having having maybe a team, a young team maybe that's not as confident. Some of the players maybe aren't as confident as they should be when it comes to calling the shots. Like the three at the back, maybe maybe there's no leader between them yet because there was there was three opportunities to clear that ball before it before the two lads or there was two before the two lads ran into each other so all you're looking for there is a bit of a stronger voice and just to get the ball away and someone to take control i'd still actually be more more annoyed about the first goal to be honest with you because it's we've seen it happen so many times and it again i think that just comes down to maybe not having not having enough leaders on the pitch, or maybe just the personalities haven't come out enough yet. Like, if you run through the team, like, it's it's not the most experienced international team. You're probably looking for maybe one, but it is a friendly, he's given lads a go, but you're looking for maybe one more senior head in there just to take charge of things. And, like, I would presume it'll eventually be Collins, but it just didn't really happen for him or for the back line that day. Two of the standout performers in that game against Latvia uh, was debutant Will Smallbone, who you know provided some excellent crosses, you know not just for the for the goals, but seemed to be a, a central pivot point almost for everything good that you know that Ireland were doing. And out on the left, Callum Adada, who unfortunately picked up a knock and wasn't able to play against France. Given what we did see from from those two players. I suppose like Odauda is is an established international at this stage, although I've I've always felt that he's he hasn't really delivered on his promise. Although what he did against Latvia was probably his best game, including getting his first goal. Do you think that the the formation 
uh, or that we tried against Latvia, got that out of him, or was it the personnel around him, or was it just the opposition? I think he's more comfortable now at left wing back. But like we remember when Ododa started, was it when he when he broke into the team first and he was out of it for a while and he came back in, but he was playing right right wing at one stage. And then he moves over to the left. He's played nearly everywhere across the park. But he's done that at club level as well. Like he really struggled at Bristol with injuries. And like that's why they let him go, I suppose. But he this is the first season in a long time where he's had a good run of games. And he's a, a player that Irish managers have always liked because he is one of our most technical players. He's just very tidy on the ball and he can like we didn't really see it that much lately, but he can beat his man in in, a, in tight spaces. So you can see why he's involved. Smallbone, that Smallbone Doherty partnership, it just reminded me of it's exactly what Henderson and, and Trent do at Liverpool. Trent gets forward and Henderson makes sure he stays behind him or level with him and covers him and always feeds him the ball. It was nearly the same. Now, Doherty, I thought, was very rusty, but look, he's only played seven minutes of football since Christmas and he needed the full game to get minutes in his legs for France. But yeah, very impressed with, with the two of them. As far as the formation goes, I think that's something that will be looked at in the future because I think, like when we did go, again, we'll talk about the France game, but when we did go four at the back against France, I thought they looked very comfortable. And there'll have to be a conversation there eventually about maybe switching it up a bit more because the whole point was to get Doherty and, and Coleman into the team maybe. And we had so many good centre-backs, but like Coleman's not going to be around forever either. So it's something that we'll, like we'll talk about later, but will be looked at. Mark, do you think that you know, the formations that we played in the two games are kind of the way that Kenny wants to tailor his team depending on the opposition. I mean, I don't think we can play three attacking midfielders against someone like France, but when we're playing Latvia or a, a lower-ranked opposition who might be that bit, little bit more vulnerable, will we see, say, Smallbone and Nice together in midfield, maybe with just the one defensive midfielder sitting behind them? Yeah, I certainly do think that uh, Joe and even with Stephen Kenny particularly likes of Armenia teams like that particularly in Nations League action yeah uh, Luxembourg as well he's been kind of quick to maybe go a little bit more attacking mindset hasn't he particularly in that midfield area I certainly do think that there was a bit of pragmatism particularly in that French selection but um, I suppose for the Lafayette of this world you know he has to kind of have more of an attacking sense you know, really take the the game to the opposition. So, yeah, I would probably agree with you there, Joe, in terms of being a little bit more adventurous, particularly in these sort of games. I mean, we have Gibraltar coming up on June 19th, obviously. I would imagine, again, front foot. And again, it did work, you know, particularly in the first 25 minutes. There was an awful lot to like about that Irish performance, again, in terms of our attacking play. Matt Doherty and small bonus at the start at the outset, very impressive. You know, some great deliveries into the box. I thought the Obafemi Ferguson partnership really worked a feat as well. And also, Alan Brown, I think, is more an attacking midfielder. And I think you probably hit nail on the head in terms of himself and Malumpy. Like to kind of do things quite similarly. So, again, it was probably a good exercise for Stephen Kenny and management just to see who could actually slot in there if Josh Cullen, for whatever reason, injured or suspended during the campaign. So I think they certainly got answers there. But talking to your question, I definitely think that attacking kind of midfield mindset definitely will be there uh, for the rest of the campaign. It's a kind of a problem position he struggled with figuring out, like that link man between 
between midfield and attack. And I don't think Brown didn't really work at all against Latvia, I didn't think. And he's tried McGrath and he's he's tried McGrath a couple of times and it hasn't really worked. Now, against France, Knight basically played as a 10 nearly right up the pitch and I thought that really worked. But I definitely think when you're playing so-called lesser opposition, like let's say Gibraltar, I don't see the reason he couldn't play four at the back and even some sort of diamond with two up front because Knight likes to play high up. You could play Smallbone in there, you could play Cullen and Malumbi. You could play the four of them and two attacking players. With the likes of Malumbi now maturing and Knight maturing and Smallbone coming into the team, there's a lot more variation in the middle when it comes to how we set up our midfield than there was a year ago, say, when we were looking at Hendrick and Horahan as options in our first five midfielders. So I think that will have some sort of sway on how we set up in the future against different teams. And as well as that, Ferguson and Obafemi kind of, Ferguson adds a whole new layer to the attack as well. So that will have to be, that will have to be exploited as well at some stage. It's a good thing in a way that he kind of mixed it up against France because the both formations he tried against France seemed to work in two different situations. He's had to almost throw in two players here, Connor Coventry. He's had a good loan spell with Rotherham. Again, doesn't seem to be in a, a, getting a look in in terms of the senior squad at the moment, but he does have Mark Sykes there from Oxford United. So, I mean, this is a guy that's in a very attacking focus midfielder here. So I'm not sure when we're going to see Mark Sykes actually get some quality minutes here for Republic of Ireland, but unless they're seeing something on train sessions here, but you know, those are two players potentially. But again, we're in the middle of a qualification campaign now, so I don't think Stephen Kenny's going to tinker too much in terms of the options that he does have. Do you think that the last two games of 2022 against Norway and Malta were a missed opportunity? I mean, you know, Smallbone was named as a substitute and didn't play in either game, and you know, Mark Sykes only came on against Malta. Could we have seen more experimentation then? Oh, I think so, absolutely, Joe. Again, the Norway game wasn't that PR'd to be the dress rehearsal for the French game. That's fair enough, but then you have to assess then your opposition. And the opposition really did treat it as kind of an experimental exercise, but still won. I mean, from a Stephen Kenny management perspective, there was certainly a lost opportunity there to blood a few guys in with 30 minutes to go, regardless of the result. And spin it like that with the media. I mean, the Malta game, my God, that's a dead rubber game. I mean, no respect to Malta, but if you can't experiment with people that are training well, like it must be very disconcerting for any of these squad players that haven't had any significant game minutes during these campaign games in recent days. You know, not even to get maybe even a few minutes against Malta, I mean, to show what you're worth. I mean, it's very hard for management now to really go to the well and really kind of try people out. I mean, they're going to be knocked uh, immediately here, management, aren't they? Uh, For saying, oh, you don't really know what you're getting here. But I mean, those were classic opportunities to hear Joe. You know, World Cup was on. I would have just used it as just an opportunity to put a few more guys in, maybe looking at that central midfield role as well. Because Josh Cullen is, you know, a single point of failure when it comes to that position. Would have been no harm and basically Connor Coventry and I say Will Allbone as well to cement his place in the squad as well. Well, but I don't know, Phil, what do you, what do you think on that? Yeah, I'd agree with everything you said. I think we were all very shocked that Smallbone didn't get any minutes at the time because he had been consistently playing at that stage. He was back in the team, so at club level. So I think we were we were shocked about that. 
Kenny is very unpredictable when it comes to how he uses his players. Like, there's plenty of people that have guessed teams left, right, and center, but there's not many people that guess them right. Like, who would have thought, like, we haven't mentioned him yet, but um, Mikey Johnson. Who was, like, when we were talking about Norway and Malta, like, Mikey Johnson wasn't in the conversation. But, like, he nearly became our most exciting player ever within 20 minutes coming on against Latvia. You know, so it just, show, it, it just shows you the way Kenny thinks. Like, sometimes he thinks outside the box and it works. And then sometimes he does, he just doesn't do the obvious things that you maybe think would benefit the squad, like, i.e. give Smallbone more minutes earlier on before these two games came around. I don't know, is it inconsistent or not? Or just maybe people are not, we're not on the same wavelength as him. Unless we had match scouts coming to Portuguese games. Should leave Victoria Grimarish? I don't know. But uh, it's a good point, Phil. Johnson was an interesting call-up. I mean, he was he was linked with the Ireland team a few years ago. And he, when he broke through at Celtic, he was heralded as one of the next big things to come out of the academy. And he did play... He did play very well for Celtic, uh, especially under Brendan Rodgers. Just you know, he was really unfortunate with a long-term injury that had him out for almost a year. Um, when he returned, you know, he was told by Celtic manager Postacoglu that he wasn't really part going to be part of his plans, at least in the short term, and that the loan move would be the best thing for him. He's done okay in Portugal playing for uh, Vitória Guimarães, but he hasn't scored since uh, October. And he actually wasn't part of their squad for the final game before the international break. So it'll be interesting to see what difference training with the national side, making his his debut and his competitive debut, playing against teams like France and not looking out of place is going to do for him You know, when he goes back to Portugal, how it'll affect his confidence and if he can force his way back into the, the starting 11 for the Premier League aside. Johnson's introduction, one of the first things he did was was hammer the ball off the upright, which led to Benny's winner. You know, we've talked before about how Stephen Kenny's substitutions often come very late in the game and tend to not change the game. You know, we had seen some of the, the Latvian substitutes come on before Benny and Johnson made their introduction just after the 60-minute mark. But... This was a positive sub, uh, substitution, and it, you know it led to the winner. So I don't say it's the first time that Stephen Kenny has done that, but it's we should recognise that change in his approach to the game, and um, you know I hope it continues. Absolutely, Joe. Because I mean, you know, a little bit direct running was probably required at that stage, just to really test out that Latvian defensive system again to break in point. Because we did quite well in the first 20, 25 minutes really attacking space, and Mikey Johnson really ticks all those boxes. thought it was a good goal, to be fair. Tried his luck, hit off the post. Obene being a good striker, uh, hitting the rebound. So, I mean, I thought it was no more than Ireland deserved, really, to be fair. I mean, they were rattled going in at half-time. I thought they kind of stabilised the ship a bit in the second half. And, you know, I thought overall, here, guys, you know, 3-2 win. No, we can critique about the defensive performances, but at least maybe a little bit of reality check, you know, a bit of focusing on the minds heading into that French game, particularly after what France did to Holland that day later. That's a good point, Mark. You know, in the opening round of fixtures in the qualifying group, you know, we expected France to get a result at home against the Dutch in their first game since the World Cup final at the end of last year. But I I don't think we expected quite the the performance that we got from the Dutch, even uh, with the late 
loss of five players so close to the game. They just looked completely disorganized and, you know, France were 2 0 up with less than 10 minutes gone. Um, to be fair, when you're 2 0 up at home and the opposition don't look like they've ever seen each other before, never mind play together, you know, there is a temptation to sit back a little bit. France going on to win 4 0 and Dutch missing a late penalty just to compound their misery on the night. I don't know how much we can read into that Dutch performance, but it's got a lot of fans thinking that we can take something off them when we face them in September and October this year. We wouldn't want to be looking too far ahead. Um, obviously, they have a new manager and they had a lot of, there's a rogue chicken curry in there somewhere that took down a lot of players. But um, it's as is the case with every set of fixtures for Stephen Kenny's Ireland team, you, you just don't know. Like, we, we don't know a lot more than we did before the France game. So it's it's just so hard to tell. You know, you leave with so many questions unanswered. Like by rights we should be we should be confident enough to go and beat Greece and Gibraltar and if we do I don't know, I wouldn't be looking as far ahead to the Dutch. They still have match winners, they'll have Frankie De Jong back, they'll have Gapko back. I just wouldn't be looking that far ahead. I get June out of the way first. Yeah, I'd certainly agree there, Phil, but I mean a new manager, Louis Van Gaal, seemed to really galvanise that squad. And even in the World Cup in Qatar, thought they played some outstanding stuff, really. But again, I think it was from a, a opening debut managerial. Again, this is Ron Koeman's second tilt at the national team job. Not really warm and fuzzies. And again, you know, their performance against Gibraltar, even though they won 3 0, like, if you look at the stats here, like 32 shots, 21 of them off target. So, I mean, I'd say Freddie Young would be a massive addition to that uh, Dutch midfield. Like, you still have Vinaldum, you know, you have the Van Dijk, Naki actually is playing superb stuff for Manchester City. Scores two against Gibraltar, but as uh, I totally agree with you, Phil. I think there's more bigger fish in the sea for Republic of Ireland right now and the fans, namely Greece on June 16th and Gibraltar June 19th. I think no more than six points is required here, uh, to be fair. Koeman didn't have a great record the first time around with the Dutch. You know, out of the 20 games that he was the manager for, they won 11, drew 5 and lost 4. You know, winning percentage of only slightly more than 50%. He didn't have a great record at club level. He only won slightly better than 40% of his games with, with Everton. At Barcelona, you know, he only lasted slightly more than a year, winning 58% of his 67 games. So, you know, he's he's been a manager for more than 700 games between club and country, but he doesn't have a particularly good record. The longest uh, he stayed at anyone was, was Ajax back at the, in where he started in December 2001 and lasted till February 2005, more than 100, 151 games at the, the Dutch Giants. It was the first game of his second spell in charge. They lost some of their best players in the run-up to the game. They were playing one of the best teams in the world who obviously wanted to put the World Cup final behind them and impress their home fans. Mbappe was had been given the captaincy, and so obviously he wanted to impress with his first game as captain of the national team. It's, yeah, it's, it's hard to know really what we could take from that game. And it's possibly the, the Gibraltar game is what... Uh, is more interesting. A 3-0 win at home against a team that had 10 men for the last 40 minutes of the game 
It's 49 attempts on, on goal, but only 11 on target. Would be sorry for the question. I don't think John Egan and Nathan Collins and Dara Shea would be too worried about the Dutch pumping balls into Bob Veghorst. They could do it all night against us, I think, and and we mightn't concede. So they probably have to change tactic if they're playing us because I think that's something we we would actually defend quite comfortably. You know, we are playing them at home before we go to to the Netherlands. It'll be 22 years almost to the day since we beat them in uh, Lansdowne Road in the 2002 World Cup qualifiers. But when we face them uh, this September, it's a game to look forward to. A lot can depend on the the way the results go before the game because obviously we're into hypotheticals here, but we've got Greece away and and Gibraltar and then we have France. We've three games before the Dutch kick a ball. So... If we could take six points from that, the Dutch have Greece the same day we play France. Presuming that the Dutch beat the Greeks, that would leave both teams on six points with the Dutch a game played more, and then we play them. So I think we talked about the importance earlier of getting six points against Greece and Gibraltar. But if we do, then more than likely we go into that game at home against the Dutch level with them and that will add huge impetus mm. on us that will add pressure to the Dutch as well but that really builds that game up as something huge now if we don't pick up six points then it's kind of we're nearly fighting for our lives because a loss against the Dutch kind of does us so that a lot could come down to that game the Dutch the last two games the Dutch have in the qualifiers they play us at home on the 18th of November which is our last game, but then they go away to Gibraltar on yeah. the 21st. So we really need to get something from that. We have to beat a, a top-seeded team at home. Yeah. We have any expectation of qualifying. We're going to need to be at three points clear of the Dutch after that game in Amsterdam in November because they're going to go to, to Faro to face Gibraltar three days later uh, and take three points off them. So with the opening fixtures in the group uh, out of the way, we all headed to Aviva Stadium on Monday night to watch. Uh, and look, there was there was probably a few in the crowd who were there to see one of the best players in the world and one of the best teams in the world. The attendance that was officially announced was 50,219, which is one of the largest for any game I've been to at Aviva Stadium. Going into it, I didn't give as much of a chance. Looking back to France's recent uh, away record, they don't really blow teams away. So I thought figures like 5-0 or more than that were was unlikely. I thought the game might follow a similar pattern to the Dutch game in that France would score early, take control of the game, and then just let Ireland have possession and invite the Irish team onto them to try and nick a goal. Now, it was one of those games where you think it's been at least half an hour and then you look at the stadium clock and it's been you know, a little over five minutes. Nerves were high, but the team was disciplined and going in scoreless at half time was probably better than anyone had expected. But Mark, what were your thoughts on the game after the first 45 minutes? Yeah, no, I was, I was pleased, guys. Because um, we, we'd spoken before the game about you know midfield not being overrun. Because definitely with the the Dutch French game in 
in the Stade de France. The Dutch were overrun in midfield, and you look at the midfield three that they had on duty uh, for France, uh, Camavega, Griezmann, and Rabideau. I mean, they're guys that are capable of really kind of winning a game for you. So the fact of the matter was we'd kept Mbappe quiet. I think all credit to the likes of Seamus Coleman. Giroud really didn't really get a sniff off the likes of John Egan <laughs> all night, really, before he was taken off. Nathan Collins as well. Colum Mognani, I think, had some good cameos, but again, faded out of the game. So, to be perfectly fair, guys, well organised. I thought, you know, what we talked about the Lafayette game, there was no real pot shots. Pressure was high, good press, and also we did have some kind of flirting moments, particularly on set pieces, particularly after minute 30. So, all in all, I was pleasantly surprised, and, well, not surprised. Because I knew, like, with the atmosphere that was in the ground, guys, if the Irish players couldn't have delivered performance given the backdrop of that, something would have been up. So I think from an Ireland perspective, going in a half-time nil all, pertaining an awful lot of the main weapons for France, I know France certainly knew that they were in for a game. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Like, I before the game, I had presumed we were going to concede two to three goals just because we'd been leaking goals the last few home games, even in friendlies. So I was delighted. I thought... It, I thought the tactics were spot on. I thought France were poor. I don't think they were near as good as they should have been. Like, they gave the ball, I think we mentioned it just before we came on, they gave the ball away an awful lot. Like, very silly pass, overhit passes. Rabio was overhitting passes. Theo Hernandez was overhitting passes. A lot of balls going out of play. But I think that was down to us pressuring them as well. I don't think they pressed us high either, so we they gave us they gave us a bit more time on the ball, which really suited us. The only thing that we lacked really in the first half was a bit more of an attacking threat. But I think the ball that was tried a few times was a, the ball over the top into the right corner for Benny to chase. But I think because he was doing such a job with Coleman on making sure Mbappe didn't have any space to run into or there was no ball on, I think that kind of plan was always a, a small bit limited going in a half time nil all and and everybody looking looking quite sharp I think everybody very happy and then unfortunately early in the second half only five minutes after the restart just another one of these world class strikes from outside the area we can talk about the strike itself all we want but we have to admit that it does come from a mistake by Cullen. He was absolutely imperious in midfield, completed 28 of the 32 passes he attempted, and it was just one of the four that he missed, went straight to Pavard, who smashed the ball in off the underside of the crossbar. I don't think uh, Gavin Bazunu and goals had much chance to do anything about it, and it it sucked the atmosphere out of the stadium for about 10 minutes. You know, I think there was a feeling that, you know, we've played so well, we've been so disciplined. I think it was probably as, as disciplined a performance as I've seen from an Ireland team, possibly since the qualifier against Wales in 2017, where we weren't expected to get our results away from home. But, you know, just the team's performance earned a 1-0 win. And we hadn't really looked like scoring. Um, the considered opinion of the fans in attendance was that that was the goal that was going to decide the game. I think, in fairness to Ireland, I think resiliency. I mean, we can talk about the goal all we want. I mean, again, 
again, Josh Cullen, it, it's a it's a loose pass really. Is Jason Knight the option really as well? I don't know if it was it was a Matt Doherty on the outside of Jason Knight. Probably I thought was the better ball to be fair. But again, you have to credit Pavard, dog guys. I mean, he's plenty to do there, you know, and get it on target. But I mean, the strike's emphatic. I don't know what your viewpoint is on the Darrow Shea involvement here. He kind of turned his back away from the ball. Uh, do you think that had any decisive factor in, in, in the goal going in as well, just defensively? Um, I, I don't really know. I'm not sure. I just think it was just a bit of a hospital pass, really, wasn't it? I don't think any was ex- anyone was expecting the ball to be played across the way like that. So it's kind of hard to know. Maybe on another day he's, he's set a bit better or he's out to it a bit quicker. Um, but overall in the second half, like, bar the goal, I think, it's the first time I think I've ever said it, but I think Kenny's in-game changes were, like, not unbelievable, but, like, he got everything bang on nearly. Like, credit to the team for the heads didn't really drop that much, and they didn't go and concede a second, and they rallied well, and I think you could see the game plan from 60 minutes. It was, let's try and contain France, and with 15 minutes to go or 12 minutes to go, we're really going to have a go at them because obviously you can't really have a go at them too early because they will absolutely kill you on the counter-attack and that's what they're waiting for you to do. So I think Kenny's changes were brilliant. Like he wasn't afraid to take off Ferguson and I think the changes he made, like I think they all worked. Like especially Ida because the ball started to stick a lot more when he came on. So I think credits were, credit where credit's due there. I think, um, I think he got it bang on, especially with the change of formation as well then at the end. Yeah, I think he needed to do that as well. And to be fair yeah. to Stephen Kenny, we've been pretty critical of him on the game management. But, I mean, Evan Ferguson put in a massive shift. I thought Jason Knight as well, guys, particularly in that first half. The amount of ground he covered along with Jason Mullumby. Jason Mullumby. I've never seen someone run as much now as Jason Mullumby did that night. Oh, amazing. Like, you know, same with Matt Doherty as well, going up and down that ring. Being so defensively tight. Darrow O'Shea as well. So, I mean, to be fair to Stephen Kenny, Keith Anderson, you also have to credit John O'Shea here coming into the senior management setup as well. I mean, I thought they got the game plan absolutely spot on here. And I think, I think you've hit the nail on the head here, Joe. You know, the resiliency of the team. When we went 1-0 down, now I know there was chances. Gavin Bazuna came up big with a few saves. But after minute 70, you could see France like, right, we, we have what we hold. But my God, guys at top closing stages, boys, Ireland were particularly on the front foot and uh, on another day could have been looking at a draw or even a win here. I think the last five to ten minutes, Ireland just found a, a different gear. They found space uh, in the French defence that maybe we hadn't been exploiting up to that point. Maybe it just wasn't there. You know, when you bring on James McLean, you know what you're going to get. And we, you know, And we saw what... Mikey Johnson could do against Latvia and he, he wasn't as effective against France but I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that France are a better team than Latvia um, but the two best chances that Ireland had in the game came in the last few minutes from corners and the first one could very easily have been an own goal from Conate, which was pushed over uh, close range. And then the second from Collins, which was an absolutely textbook header. It's it's what every centre half is taught to do when attacking a, a corner. And again, just a world-class save from Magnin prevented the equaliser. There was a real sense of deflation after that. 
almost like the the chances that we had against Italy in Lille when Wes Ulahin did score that that was the last chance we were going to have the only difference was that that was the last chance that we got against the French finished 1-0 you could maybe call it a moral victory based on their performance we've a long wait now for our next two games in June uh, away to Greece uh, in Athens and then facing Gibraltar at home three days later how do you feel now going into those, those two games after what we've seen against Latvia and France? Well, I think we've seen the standard now, and that's against France. And I think if we maintain that standard, which we should be able to do for at least another game, I would be confident that we'd beat Greece. Not overconfident, but I, I don't see why we couldn't get a result out there. And there'll be a lot more players with a lot more minutes on their legs, hopefully. You know, hopefully Ferguson continues to kick on for the end of the season. Like, there's a lot of players playing full-time there that they, they can get more minutes under their, under their belt. So I'd be fairly confident enough. I'd be confident in the management team now, from what I've seen against France, that they, they can get it right. Because they really did get it right against France for large parts of the game. And when they had to mix it, they, they did mix it well, and they finally got it right. So I'd be confident enough. And really, again... As always with Stephen Kenny, he's he's not far off talking and getting the bullet. Like if they lose to Greece, you know he's back under huge pressure again. So it's it's a must win. So I'm just hoping he's enough and he's enough in his locker to pull it off. I think he will. I think they will. Just one other bit about the France game. We had eight corners against France. Like a lot of those chances came from corners due to high pressure up the pitch and making the French make daft mistakes like clearing the ball out and that. So like. We don't usually get eight corners against any half-decent team. So I think that just shows you how well, in the second half, the switch of formation and the attacking impetus worked. Because it's very rare for Ireland to get eight corners against anyone. I'm not sure if there's many games left in the qualifiers that you you couldn't describe as must-win. I mean, maybe the away game in France, or maybe one of the Dutch games. We, I think we need to take a minimum of four points against Greece. We have to beat Gibraltar twice, and we're going to have to get something off the Dutch. Maybe not four points, maybe just one, maybe three. But if we give up six points to them, then we're not going to finish second. Yeah, I think it's all about performance, though, guys, isn't it? I mean, I think we've been here before. Like, I mean, I'll even think back to Portugal. I think back to Serbia. I think back to Belgium where we've had good performances and we feel, yeah, this is where the team are going to go, go to the next level, to be then let down massively with a bang. That can't happen now. And our next two games, I think, as Phil's rightly mentioned, are kind of the key games here. You know, we really do need to be competitive and we definitely need to get points. So I would be aiming for six here. Now, I mean, the Greek form, the beat Gibraltar 3-0, pretty wayward in terms of their shooting efforts here. I think they've about 20 plus shots, only three goals against a very limited Gibraltar side. And then but Gus Payet then decided to really run the rule over his squad against Lithuania and we've seen the answer, nil all draw. So if they kind of get into suspension trouble particularly at the latter end of this campaign I think they're in a spot of bother. But I think from our perspective, folks in our performance hopefully the players is, you know, are in good form as well going into it. But there's no reason why we can't go to Greece here. I know, Joe, you put out the stat in terms of the average temperature on your Twitter handle, uh, Irish Abroad, in terms of Athens in June. If it's in the mid-20s, I think there's absolutely no excuse for this Ireland team not to go out, express themselves and get a result. 
But I think this Gibraltar game at home probably is the key one here. How have we evolved in terms of our attacking mindset? I think we mentioned the start of podcast in terms of that attacking dimension in our midfield. We need to really kind of close these games out against no respect to Gibraltar, they're minnows. So we need to kind of get that game over and done with quickly and really boost our goal difference in the process. So I'd be relatively confident, guys, but it's really on the players now. I think management have shown that tactically and in-game, they got it right against France. So I think really it's now the players really have to step up to the plate in June and really kind of get us into a good position come September. That's a good point about the performances, the good performance that we've seen under the manager before, Mark. I mean, we came back from Serbia after losing 3-2, but a, a decent performance against uh, one of the top-ranked seeds in that group and then proceeded to lose to Luxembourg. I mean, we you know, were leading Portugal until almost until injury time in Portugal and then promptly came back and you know had to force a draw with Azerbaijan. Can we follow up this performance against France with a result in Athens in June? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. <laughs> Could be the defining game of his manage- managerial reign. Yeah, I feel like we say that almost before every game. I suppose an awful lot of those players that play those games against the likes of Portugal, Serbia, they've now got eight to ten more caps under their belt here, uh, Joe. I mean, the experience has been built up here. And I think, you know, motivation, you know, even at the end of the, the match against France, you could see the, the disappointment on an awful lot of the young players here. You know, the likes of the Nathan Collins, even the Seamus Coleman's Matt Doherty. So, I mean, there's motivation plenty here for the guys to right the wrongs here in June. I'm fully convinced that, like, the whole of the Irish support. Now, I was kind of on the fence in terms of Stephen Kenny, particularly before this qualification campaign. But again, you have to be fully committed to him, given the performance he's, the team have produced, particularly opening day out against France. I mean, hopefully we get into a position in September where we're still in the melting pot here for the qualification. That can only really kind of breed more kind of good vibes here in terms of the players' management and the fans here. So, yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah, I mean, the starting 11 against France, you know, the average number of caps was 23 and a half and the average age was 25. So in the three years since Stephen Kenny was announced in uh, as national manager in 2020 and and nothing else happened in 2020 for you to, to remember. You know, he has gone about trying to build uh, a young side, you know, with some degree of experience. He's brought down the, the average age. He's tried to raise the uh, the average caps in uh, in each team. And, yeah, like I, like I said, it feels like we keep saying that the next game is going to be the defining game of his, his time in charge. But I think this is going to be the defining campaign of his time in charge that if he fails, if he doesn't qualify, then I think he'll be getting the dreaded call from the chairman and uh, and then he'll be mutually consented before the end of the year. completely agree there with you, Joe, in terms of even his legacy so far, in terms of the blooding in of so many new players. Um, the vision, I suppose, within the side. Um, but I suppose this... It, we've always called it that this European campaign, he's had ample opportunity now to really kind of stake a claim in terms of putting an identity on this team. Now, again, the player quality, depth, sharp pool, you can argue all you want, but he needs to be competitive in this campaign. So I think the June, and I hate to be repeating myself, the June fixtures really are the paramount ones here. But, I mean, the John O'Shea backroom appointment as well, I think has been a key acquisition here, uh, 
Joe and Phil. I just just think, you know, in terms of what John O'Shea brings to the table from a playing career perspective, being there, done that, and also his coaching expertise as well. I think he brings a very sound judgment and sound character to uh, this backroom staff. You know, there has been a void since Anthony Barry. So it's great that we have someone of John O'Shea's prestige and experience to come in. And I think this, the squad has been galvanised a bit since that appointment as well. So, again, very much a happy camp. I thought Stephen Kenny, particularly in press conferences before the French game, was very front, on the front foot. You know, why would we back down? Why would we abandon our game plan? So I think it was a strong performance from Stephen Kenny, even in front of the cameras before that French game and even after it. So I think hopefully this is the turning point. Hopefully we're going to get results now. Uh, I don't know what, what you think there, Phil. Yeah, I I'd agree with that. Um, I think, yeah, especially with, with O'Shea coming in, it's just good to see someone in because you'd always be worried that Kenny and, and Andrews and Rice were, would be stuck in a bit of an echo chamber and without any sort of outside opinion. So with O'Shea coming in, you've it's a fresh voice, it's new opinions. I think after what we saw from... After what we've seen from the France game, I think we... We're right to be confident that we can take three points against Greece. Without having seen Greece, obviously, over the last few years, but looking at the results, and I know, Joe, you mentioned they don't really lose at home, but I still think we can be confident that we can beat them and we'll have enough. And it is at the end of the season. The likes of Ferguson may have... He's an FA Cup semi-final coming up. There's a lot of players going to be involved with different things and getting minutes and game time. So as long as... These are key players, and hopefully maybe even Tarty, continue to get minutes. Maybe Collins breaks back into the Wolves team. I think that we can be going in to the Greece fixture with, in relatively good shape. But yeah, as he said, and as you said, Joe, it is, it is going to be, it could be a defining fixture because there was a big crowd at the Aviva and they all expect us now to beat Greece. And I think the fallout from not beating Greece will be bigger than it usually will be from when there's maybe 30,000 there because the France game turned a lot of heads for maybe a few people that weren't on the Stephen Kenny bandwagon as such. It's a shame almost that we have to wait until June for the next fixture because after that performance against France, you'd imagine that the the players would want to carry that immediately into the next game. And unfortunately, we have to wait almost three months for it. But one other thing about the appointment of, of John O'Shea is, you know, with his experience working with the under-21s, he can recommend players from that squad that he thinks can bring something into the senior team. Um, so there's a sense of continuity between the underage and senior sides as well. I hope you've enjoyed our discussion on the two men's fixtures in March. We're looking forward to the two women's friendlies against the US. The build-up to the World Cup this summer in Australia and New Zealand continues. We hope you'll join us for that episode. I want to thank Mark and Phil for joining me to discuss Latvia and France. You can follow Mark on Facebook and Twitter at Hawkeye Psychic, and you can find Philip at, at Philip Flanagan. Uh, on Twitter. I've been Joseph McCarthy from Irish Abroad. You can follow me on Twitter at Irish underscore abroad or on Facebook at Irish Football Statistics. We look forward to talking to you soon. Take care.